Welcome to The Bittersweet Life, a show about living abroad and moving home. And more than that, it's a deep exploration of what it means to live, to truly be alive. Your host, Tiffany Parks, is a childhood friend of mine. She lives in Rome, Italy. She moved there from the United States 16 years ago. And me, I'm Katie Sewell. I was a short-term expat for a time, living in Italy, right down the street from Tiffany. And then I moved home to Seattle, Washington. That's where I am now. So you are in the right place. If you love Italy or travel, if you're thinking about moving abroad or lived in a foreign place in the past, this is a show infused with art and literature and history. It's a show about life, and we're glad you're here. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, we're going to... It was a big reading year for both of us. Yeah. I feel like every year is a big reading year for you. Yeah, I read a lot every year. That's true. And I do keep a little notebook of what I've read, although I don't usually write books in here that I didn't finish. Okay. Sometimes I feel like I'll look at the list and I'll think, I read a lot more than that, didn't I? (laughs) No. And then I have to remember that I read a bunch of partial books as well. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that because that's one of the reasons I don't usually stop reading a book is because I want it to count. (laughs) I totally understand that. But I do think that just because I interview a lot of people, mm-hmm. and I read a vast majority of their books usually. Sometimes I read the whole thing. Uh, sometimes I read the majority of it, a lot more than a lot of interviewers read it. For sure. But even still, I don't know what the line is where I decide that I'm going to write it down and count it, or I'm not. I don't know what that line is. But So it is a lot of like, I've read a significant amount of it, and it's not that I necessarily quit because it wasn't interesting, but because it was like something you're reading for work versus something you've picked to read, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Totally makes sense. Although technically I did pick to read it as well. Yeah, true. (laughs) Based on having the person on. I mentioned this to you, mentioned this doing an episode on books because it's the end of the year. And instead of doing sort of like wrap up of the year, which might be depressing, maybe, Mm. considering we're still in a pandemic, uh, but uh, you know, book wrap up like what did you read this year that really stood out what did you read maybe that you didn't like and uh, any other general thoughts about reading yeah for this year I like that plan so I I pulled out my notebook and looked it was interesting to me there were some on my list that I could not even remember what the book was (laughs) oh my god that must be a bad sign of you know, maybe I enjoyed it at the time, but then when I'm looking at the title, I, I just have no recollection of which book that was. Huh. So I'm not going to talk about those because Good plan. why pass on titles that are forgettable? But I did write down three that I thought would be worth recommending. And I don't know. Do you want to start? Do you have one in particular that stands out as the highlight? Oh, I don't think I have one highlight. But I've read a significant number of books by women this year, which was not a planned decision. It just happens to be that nine out of 10 of the books I read this year were by women, which was really wonderful because it's easy to read a lot of men because there's a lot of books by men out there, especially classics. But women, just there's a different, um, slightly different voice there, and it can be just so wonderful. So I read... 
two books by the same author, Patricia Highsmith. And you might not be familiar with the name Patricia Highsmith, but you may, you've probably seen or at least heard of a very famous movie, The Talented Mr. Ripley, which she wrote as a book in the 1950s. Maybe it was early 60s. I'm not sure. But that is one. And the other book that I read by her was Strangers on a Train, which was made into a Hitchcock film back in the day in the, you know, in the 50s or 60s. And I loved both of these books so much. I was so captivated by them. What captivated me the most was that in both cases, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, Katie, watching a film or reading a book, I felt myself really sympathizing with the villain. And the villain in both cases is really the protagonist as well. So it's an ant, they're sort of anti heroes or ant, you know, whatever you want to call them anti protagonists, antagonists. But it's the main character is the villain. I found that I, you know, was wanting the bad guy to get away with it during the film Match Point as well. And I think that's just a real testament to the skill of the writer or the director if it's a movie. How do you get the reader to sympathize and maybe even identify with a little bit the villain? I mean, very impressive that she was able to do that. And the other thing about both of those books, and I don't read a lot of suspense, but I was particularly Strangers on a Train, like the last few chapters, my heart was absolutely pounding as if I were watching a movie. And I was so terrified about what was going to happen at the end. Wow, that's very intriguing. I may have to check that out. Yeah, they were really wonderful. And I think Strangers on the Train is a better one. Okay, okay. I just, I was writing these down because I figure we should at least put a list in the show notes just in case you're you're walking along and you're like, what was that book Tiffany was talking about? Yeah, for sure. We will definitely do that. All right. Well, I will say that one of the ones that stood out to me this year is a very large book. I don't know how you feel about really, really large books. This one was probably almost 600 pages long. It was a a true epic, like spanned an entire century. (laughs) It was called Great Circle by a woman named Maggie Shipstead. And it basically follows the story of a woman named Marion Graves, who is a young woman who wants nothing more than to fly a plane. So you meet her as a kid where she just has this overwhelming desire to somehow figure out how to get flying lessons. This takes place in the early 20th century. And later on, you kind of follow her desire and quest to circumnavigate the world from pole to pole. Wow. And it's coupled with a modern day storyline of kind of a scandalized in the press actress who is hoping to remake her career by playing Marion Graves in a movie. Mm. It's got that huge scope. It, like it spans the Great Depression. You live through World War II with these people and the characters have this amazing uh, capacity for reinvention while really sticking to this core feistiness that they all have and it also just has I'm not going to tell you who but one of the deaths of the characters is written in the most expansive and beautiful way I would read it almost again just to hit that moment wow but I can't tell you who it was because it'll no no don't don't give it away I won't give it away and I've heard very mixed reviews but about this book. It's actually 
shortlisted for a few big prizes. So it's like catching people's attention. I thought it was really beautifully written. Some people think it's too long. Some people really don't care about the modern day actress because mm. you're so invested in the people in the past. But I did not experience that. I felt like it was more one of those books where you start slowing down as you near the end because you don't really want to end spending your time with these people. That's how I felt. Mm. Those are the best books. Those are really the best books. Yes. What's another one for you? Well, um, I read Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont by Elizabeth Taylor. Now, not the Elizabeth Taylor you might be thinking of, the actress, but uh, the writer. And the, I, I, I want to say that a lot of the books that I read this year come from a specific collection of books called the Virago Modern Classics Designer Collection. And they're a collection of about 25 books that were all written by women. And most of them were written between, let's say, the 1930s and the 1970s. But a lot of them are authors that you that have sort of disappeared. Like we just have fallen out of popular culture and nobody really knows about them anymore. Nobody really reads them anymore. And this uh, publishing house decided to reprint these books in beautiful collector's editions. And as you know, I collect books. And so I started collecting them and I started reading them. And it was wonderful because I discovered so many amazing writers that I would probably never have read before. And one of them was Elizabeth Taylor. And Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont is so lovely. It's quite short. It's maybe 250 pages tops. And it's about this older woman who lives in a hotel. I guess that was sort of a thing back in the day. She's in London. She lives in sort of a, you know, middle of the road hotel. She's not rich, but she has, you know, a certain amount of money to be able to, you know, to live in a hotel. And there are several other older people living there. You'd think this sounds absolutely boring, but it isn't. And it gives you this wonderful look into the lives of people who are really in the last phase of life. I think that's a demographic that is so often ignored, the older person in, in literature. I just find it so rare that, you know, sometimes you'll have a book that, yes, that goes from youth all the way through to old age. But so it's, it's pretty rare that you find a book that really takes you into the mind and the emotions of an older person. And it's wonderful because there's this, the, the twist in the book is that this woman has a grandson, only one grandson, and he never, ever comes to visit her. And, you know, she always writes to him and he always comes up with excuses not to visit. And she's so embarrassed to her fellow, you know, retirees who live with in the same hotel as her that she she meets a young man. She just happens to meet a young man. I think he helps her up when she falls on the street. And she, the two of them sort of concoct this plan that he is going to play the part of her grandson. And he is writing a book about an older woman. And so he, um, this way he gets to know, you know, firsthand an older person and how they think and what they do and the things they say. And she, you know, has this young man who comes and she takes him out to dinner and, you know, he compliments her and tells her how lovely she is. And it's actually quite funny and it's, it's just thoroughly charming and wonderful. But it's poignant at the end, I will say. So a quick aside, Tiffany, I want to tell you about a podcast that I really love. 
that I thought you might be interested in and that I thought our listeners might be interested in as well. It is called Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. Wow. And it is made uh, <laughs> by a longtime colleague and friend of mine, Jeannie Yandel, and co-hosted by Eula Scott by now. And they basically take a look at different aspects of workplace sexism and then give you actionable tactics that you can use to push back in your workplace. And that all sounds so serious, but it's actually a very funny, uh, very clever show. They have amazing guests and it kind of reminds me of our show in the sense that Eula and Jeannie are really good friends with each other and have a great way of both being vulnerable about the ways that they've been impacted by the sexism in their workplaces, but also very supportive of one another and very easy to laugh. And so it's both practical in this kind of NPR newsy way where it's like, how is your workplace sexist? We're going to lift all the rocks and show you all the ways <laughs> that you might think your workplace is really progressive, but it's still actually sexist Interesting. and give you coping mechanisms mm. to deal with it. And to change it, even. So yeah, I thought you would really like it. How about your workplace, Tiffany? Is your workplace sexist? Um, I, like you say, probably all of them are. I haven't worked in the office in uh, almost two years. But I worked in the office for a long time. And definitely I can remember a few, a few sexist moments. One thing that immediately comes to mind is... It might have been literally the day I came back from maternity leave. Mm -hmm. My boss basically like told me to come into his office. And we're a tiny, tiny business, by the way. There's basically only two employees and I'm one of them. <laughs> and then there's some people who work on a consulting basis and then three owners. So it's tiny, 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 tiny office. And I'm kind of my boss's right hand person. He invited me into his office and he said, in a very friendly way, because he's a very friendly person, but he basically said something to the equivalent of, children are wonderful, it's very, children are important, family is important, but if you don't work, you can't take care of your family. Uh -huh. And I just felt like it was so inappropriate, inappropriate, because first of all, it was my first day back. Like, it's not like a month had gone by and I hadn't been coming in and I'd been, you know, totally distracted at work and I'd been not performing at my usual level. And, you know, none of that was, ha it was the first day back. Why do you feel the need to tell me this? Uh, I've been working there for years. And secondly, you know, the, the sexist part is, you know, that if it, if I had been a man, you know, and my wife had, or my girlfriend had just had a baby, he wouldn't have, come in and talk to me in that way. It just wouldn't have happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's the kind of thing that they're going to tackle on this show. Yeah. I, I swear to you, you're going to love it. They have um, one season out already. It's great, really well produced. And then they've just started the second season. Comes out every other week. But if you feel like you need to binge something, there's a bunch of episodes there. Cool. I will definitely check it out. So the podcast is Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. It's made with an NPR mentality, but with like as much personality as The Bittersweet Life has. I hope you check it out. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So I will say that my second one is actually kind of the opposite. It's, it's uh, about a very, very young person, although it does address some uh, issues of old age. And it is The Lover ah. by Marguerite Duras. Is that how you pronounce her last name? Duras? Duras, I would guess. She's French, right? Duras. Duras. Uh, yeah, it was published originally in 1984. 
translated into 43 languages, including English, which is how I could read it. <laughs> and it's written in this very spare autobiographical style, which I like a lot. I really love spare writing that leaves white space around the story so that you have to bring some of yourself as the reader into the story, not only your own experiences, but you know, you have to sort of puzzle out how she's putting this together. In some ways, I would say it's a very difficult book uh, because she, the characters are often, and I think purposefully written very elusively. It's very hard to get a handle on them. Uh, all of them, every character has a certain amount of mystery that you never quite can get your hands around them. And it also is constantly shifting perspective. So sometimes it's in the I perspective. Sometimes it's in the she. Interesting. So it's constantly shifting what lens you're seeing the same characters from, which is a challenge. But yet there is so much beauty in the writing of it. And and actually, like, seriously, so much desire and lust in the writing of it. It is really, really hard to write sex scenes, I would imagine, or scenes between lovers. And she somehow manages to capture a sort of um, lust and intimacy in a way that I have never seen in, on the page before. And she's also very good at describing, which is basically the point of the book, describing a notable love affair, being able to capture like what was it about, about it that made it notable. Not that it was lasting, but that it was passionate and it was questionable. Uh, it was full of like lust and desire, but also bigger questions about what does it mean that we're getting together? And, and it's also this coming of age situation where their relationship, while equitable in some ways, is extremely unbalanced. They have major age differences. They are have different races. They come from different social stratas. They have different class backgrounds. So the whole thing is completely imbalanced. But then it also ends with this kind of beauty of how do you describe a love affair that lingers and stays with you long after it's over? How do you capture what it meant now that decades and decades have gone by? And she does such a good job of that. You know, I read that book when I was not many years older than the protagonist. Mm -hmm. I think I was probably 16 or 17 when I read that book. And I remember very little of it, I'm sorry to say. I do remember that spare feeling, though. It's a very thin book. Mm -hmm. It could have been a long book. It tells enough that it could have been a long book. So yeah, I get what you mean. And I don't remember it well enough because simply because it's been so long. Not that it wasn't a memorable book. It's probably one of those books that I should reread yes. now that I'm an adult. You know, I read so many classics when I was a young girl that I especially for school. That I did not read for school, obviously. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but, um, but I read so many classics and other works that, you know, are just a bit heady, you know, just maybe beyond a 16-year-old girl. Oh, yeah. I think this one would have been really hard for a 16-year-old girl, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember it being hard, hard to read. And then I watched the movie, of course, which was... Have you seen the movie? No. I actually can't even imagine it being a movie. But okay. Yeah, they made it into a movie. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's one of those like really, really thin books that's going to take you a while. Yeah. You know, like it's deceptively thin. Mm -hmm. You think, oh, I'll just bang this out in an afternoon. No, you won't. <laughs> it's too complex mm -hmm. and too densely written. Yes. So anyway, 
how about a third from you? A third from me. The only, let's say, sort of blockbuster book, if that's a word for books, best-selling, recent best-selling, because some of these might have been best-sellers in their time, but like the only book that was published in the last year or two that I've read all year is D, A Tale of Two Worlds by Michel Faber. Faber? Michel Faber? I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but I think it came out last year because I read it at the very beginning of this year, and I was... It was one of those books, like, I rarely pick up a book just sort of by reading the back of it. You know, usually I, um, you know, have a recommendation from a friend, or I hear about a book somewhere, or something like that, or it's a classic that I've always wanted to read. You know, I read a lot of classics, but this one just was so unique, the, uh, the premise of it. Have you heard of it? Have you heard anything about this book? No, I have not heard a thing. It's very Dickensian. It's supposed to be Dickensian. It's like purposefully Dickensian. And the writer, he is like a huge Dickens fan, enthusiast, what have you. And so he did this purposefully. It's not, you know, it's not an accident. But it takes place in modern times. The lead character is also a young girl. I think she's maybe 10 or 11. She's living in this world where suddenly the letter D disappears it's just gone and so if you you know she and she is the she feels like she's the only person who realizes this so if you wanted to say I don't know I can't even think of a word with the word d in it but um, address address you know you'd someone say address they would just say aras and if you wanted to say door you would just say or and at first she's like I don't understand what people you know all her teachers all her friends her parents and she, she doesn't understand what is going on? And she eventually comes across this old man. I can't even remember now because I read it in February where she meets this old man. But he understands what's going on. And he tells her that she has to go through this portal in his old ancient home that will lead her into this other world where she will go and she will f- be able to bring this letter back. And it sounds like fantasy, but it's written in such a realistic way. She's a normal girl living in, you know, the 21st century, and she's got like a princess bedspread. Um, And so it's this totally real world, although a bit absurd. It's great, though. It's an adventure, and it's it's very fun read, and, uh, and, and really lovely at the same time. So I would definitely recommend it. Wow, that's cool. That's like in the class of books where you think, how in the world did the author even think to do this? Yeah. And when she goes into that other world, there are these dragonflies all over the place. And the dragonflies are carrying tiny little D's. <laughs> and they're taking them away. They're like getting rid of all of the D's in the whole world. <laughs> That's pretty great. It really is. Um, okay, so I'll, I guess my uh, the last one I will say, which is kind of similar to that one, also came out this year. Also is sort of fantastical in some ways, which is the book Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr, who's the one who wrote All the Light We Cannot See, who's been on this show a couple times. It's what I would describe as a delightful book. Uh-huh. In its tone and the way it's written reminds me very much of the kind of like adventure book you would enjoy tucking yourself into as a kid, even though it's much more straightforward. It's not just like an adventure story, but it has these kind of 
magical qualities in this resemblance in the writing that reminds me of the books that used to make me tingle a little bit when I was a kid. And it spans three periods, like it, it's following three different storylines. One's happening now, one's happening um, during the fall of Constantinople, and one is taking place at some time in the future. And what links the story is literature itself. The idea that we can pass off our knowledge through time in books. So it's very much an ode to literature and the intellectual act of writing itself while wrapped into a very delightful story. And particularly, I really loved the Constantinople parts. You wouldn't think that you could fall in love with two oxen, <laughs> but you're going to meet some oxen that you really like <laughs> back then. But yeah, a really, really just fun book, not too hard. I also had the privilege of helping him do some research on it which was pretty great before it came out. So for me, I, I did research on the modern storyline for him. And so for me, it was very interesting to see how did he end up using the research that I gave him. Cool. I bet that was cool. I can't give any of that away because it will give away part of the story about what I researched. But. Were you one of the very first people to read that book? Yeah, uh, probably. He sent me the advanced reader's copy as soon as he had it. That's pretty cool. With a pretty f nice note that just said, um, if you don't want to have to read this whole thing, skip ahead to page whatever. <laughs> you can see see the part that you helped with. But of course, I wanted to read the whole thing. That sounds like a book that I would uh, I might I might put on my Christmas list. Yeah, you should. You should. It sounds. I love. You know, that's why I loved that D book because I just I love that sort of. I don't like full on fantasy. Like I don't want to be living in like. I don't want the castles and the princess whose blood is purple and like I don't I don't want that. But I love magical realism. I love a real world with magic in it. Magical filaments or undertones. I, I absolutely love that. Are there any books you read this year that you didn't like or were disappointed by? Um probably, but would I remember what they were? I mean, nothing that I really, really didn't like. But just some that at the time, I thought that they were amusing, but, but then I just forgot about them. The only one I would say blatantly, I hate, I hate saying things about books though that I don't like because some people really love them, you know? So actually, I'm not going to tell you which one. I, I had very high hopes for one book that came out this year. And I, when I read it, I just didn't think it was mm, that. I thought it started out great, but I thought the answer to the mystery that they had posed was weak. But I don't really want to say what it is because it might be a book that somebody else really loves. So. Well, that's fair enough. I have two other ones that I would say you absolutely have to read. Okay. Well, it, you don't have to go into them, but tell me because I want to know. And I didn't read them this year. I read them last year. But the first one is The Cold Millions by Jess Walter. You have to read that book. It's an amazing period. It's set in the early 20th century. It is a kaleidoscope of completely unforgettable characters, including one of my favorite which is a woman named Ursula the Great, who performs a vaudeville show with a live cougar. Wow. Unforgettable character. A sweeping epic story that is just so good, you'll not forget it, and certainly not the people who are in it. And the second one is one of the best books, I think, that was probably ever written for all time. <laughs> wow, that is uh, some pretty heavy praise. And it is one that most people have never heard of. My dad's book group took this up, and I went to their book group just to hear him and his friends discuss it. Huh. That's how obsessed with this book I am. Uh, it's called Stoner. 
and it's by a guy named John Williams. It's just about the day-to-day life of a college, a rather unremarkable college professor. Hmm. And that sounds so boring, but I have not met a single person who cannot see themselves in this book. Okay, I'll consider it. In some way. (laughs) You you didn't sell me on it quite as well as you sold me on the Cloud Cuckoo Land. Well, maybe it's not your cup of tea. Yeah, it might not be. But I mean, hey, I I, what I've learned this year by reading a lot of books that I hadn't planned to read simply because I've been collecting books. And so I've been buying books sometimes just because they're beautiful. I'm going to be totally honest. But then I read them and I fall in love with a book. That's good. That's another way to do it, really. Well, it really has been... um, a wonderful year of reading for me because of because of this mostly because of that collection that I mentioned because so many great books and you realize how many great books are out there I mean that's kind of overwhelming sometimes because you know you can't read them all but uh but there really are some uh some amazing amazing books out there and I and I and feel so grateful that I, I read them I mean not that I've read all the books in that collection but um I'm reading them and I'm discovering these these amazing books that I would just never have really picked up. Um, the only I'm trying to think if there's any book that that really disappointed me this year. I don't think there is true disappointing book. I was not blown away by the awakening hmm. as I had kind of thought I would be. Oh, I really like that book. I did you? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't just, like how it ends. I hate how it ends. I hate that to me. It ruined the whole book for me. It ruined the whole book. It's like, I don't care how good it was throughout the ending ruined it. But you have to realize, Tiffany, that at that period of time of writing, a woman can't have an awakening without killing herself. at the I end. Know. I know, but I just feel like there's so many books like that. There's so many great books about women who have these sexual awakenings and then kill themselves. Madame Bovary and Anna Karenina. And it's just like, sorry if I gave the way, end away to anyone who, who hasn't read it. It's been around a while. But I will say this. I loved the short stories that were at the back of the book. I, I enjoyed the short stories way more than the, than the awakening. I loved the short stories. So yes, if you if you do end up reading that book, don't just finish the awakening. Go on and read the the short stories that are generally included in the book because they are absolutely delightful. And they reminded me a little bit in a, in a very a much more subtle way of the short stories of Roald Dahl. Mm. Have you ever read his short stories for adults? Yes, I have. Lots they're of them. so you know they're just sort of like they leave you hanging. Yes, and they're a little bit perverse. They're a little bit perverse, and I mean, her I don't think her writing is perverse, but it's it leaves you hanging, and or it, it there's some there's a twist at the very end, and it ends right at that moment, right at the twist. And I'm thinking particularly, I don't know if you've re- have you read the short her short stories? Yes, Kate Chopin's short stories. Although it was a while ago. Yeah. Well, anyway, I won't. I won't describe them, but they always have that. They seemed, all of them, to have a let, that twist at the end. And I love that. Well, that's super fun. Feel free to send us your reads as well. If you had a particular book yes. that you read this year that you think that we should read, always open to recommendations. Uh, you can send us an email at bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. You can also send it to us through any of the social medias. Yes, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for the Bittersweet Life Podcast and you'll find us. And if you love this show, please support it. You're, there are links in the show notes uh, to either PayPal or Patreon, so you can decide what feels right to you. 
but you are the gas in our engine. Donations from listeners is what keeps this show going. So if you love the show and you've never donated before, please consider it. And also in the show notes, I suppose, a list of these books, Mm -hmm. just in case. And also write us a review. If you uh, if you want to help us out without necessarily spending any money, although you could do both, write us a review on Apple Podcasts because that is really, really helpful for us. We go up in the ratings when people leave reviews and that means that people will find us more and it's so easy and it takes literally like whatever the time it would take you to write a few sentences. So please, please do that if you have not yet. Yes. And just as we said with the title of books, the number one way people find podcasts is by their friends telling them about them. So if you love the show, please don't keep it a secret. Tell people about it. Share it however you like. Send it in the Christmas card. Oh, just kidding. Christmas is already over. (laughs) Send it in the New Year's Year's Eve Christmas announcement. I don't know. Whatever you do. Make it your resolution, your New Year's resolution to tell 10 friends about our show. I love it. Okay. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. (laughs) 